Morning. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, continuing in this great book and on this great theme of justification by faith. Uh, we've been tracking this for a while, and uh, I, Paul started in chapter 1, started revealing what we were like. And not only that, he revealed what we were like and that we were unworthy and that we exchanged the truth of God for a lie and all these different things. And then he went on to remind us and to let us know that absolutely none of us, none of us, uh, has any power to save ourselves. And as much as the Jew would argue, he says, you're abiding by the law, cannot, will not save you and then he begins to point to what will Jesus Christ and him crucified faith in him to be justified only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ the object matters faith by itself can't do anything but the object of our faith, Jesus Christ, has done everything. Here in chapter 5, he's moved to a place where he speaks about the implications of justification by faith. What are the implications that flow out of being justified by faith in Jesus Christ? And last week we looked that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ and that we stand we have this access by faith that was actually two weeks ago I think but we have this access by faith and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God this looking forward this knowing there's a certainty of hope in the glory of God that we shall be with him forever we have access to this hope, this faith into the grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. It's important for us to understand that he's using the same word in our rejoicing in hope of the glory of God and rejoicing in our sufferings. That word exult or boast, uh, I'll, I'll give you that definition again, to express an unusually high degree of confidence and someone or something being exceptionally noteworthy. So that is being used in reference to our hope of the glory of God and in reference to our suffering. We find this noteworthy. We find suffering noteworthy. And we find it that because of what it does in us. It produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. All of that is about testing, being put to the test. As you walk through trials and suffering, you can always know there's a test involved in that. 
do you still believe? You know, in Romans chapter 1, Paul points out something. He says in chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. If you want, that's the top slice of the slice of bread of the sandwich. Okay? I'm not ashamed because I live by faith. Okay? Y'all notice how many food analogies that I give? That's the top piece of bread right there, all right? Let's complete the sandwich because we got all the meat in the middle and some cheese. I know some of y'all are thinking about what about the vegetables. Don't ruin it. But look what it says. It says, hope does not put us to shame. Hope does not humiliate. It does something wonderful. It brings us back to believing. Back to trusting. Back to saying, yes, God, your way is right. Doesn't put us to shame. How do you put to shame? How does the love of God have anything to do with this? How does the gospel have it? That's the love of God. It tells of the love of God. I've entitled this message, The Overwhelming, All-Sufficient Power of the Love of God. It's a long title, so I'll say it again. The overwhelming, all-sufficient power of the love of God. I have two points. Everybody's head should have popped up. Hey, people are looking at me funny. There's no way you have two points. Hope does not humiliate us. That's point one. Point two, God's love toward us. That's it. Those are the two points. First, hope does not humiliate us. How do we walk through? How do we endure? How do we exult, boast, rejoice in suffering? How do we do that? How does the love of God help us in that? First of all, I want to say this. This is not speaking of our love of God. This is speaking of God's love for us. Our love for God does this, doesn't it? 
God's love for us is eternal, steadfast, through the ages, everlasting, everlasting. So Paul's pointing to something that does not change and move. If our enduring suffering depended upon our love for God, we would never endure. But we look to God's love for us. That doesn't change. Isn't that great? Always good to be anchored to something that doesn't move. Hope does not humiliate. Hope does not put us to shame. You know, it doesn't take much to be put to shame, does it? I mean, it really doesn't. Another word for that is humiliate. All you have to do is fail. Like leave out the chapter and verses in the Bible intake guide. I mean, that's how you get put to shame right there. You do some goofball thing, you know. See, you made it into the sermon. See, they didn't know who you were talking about. I just outed you. There will be payback. I'm sure he's going to come back at me. All you have to do is fail somehow. That's all you have to do. But hope, not unfounded hope, not hope that has no object, solid one, true one. That hope doesn't put you to shame. Because it has an anchor, it has a foundation that doesn't move. <laughs> it just always pops into my head. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. It can often appear that those who follow Jesus fail in being loving and compassionate. In our current culture, we're being shamed because of our conviction that homosexuality is sin and the ludicrous notion that transgenderism is a thing. And they just try to shame Christians because we won't get in line. Now, mind you, there are some who get in line. The action of some is to get in line with the culture and not offend so that we can have them as an audience for the gospel. What gospel? What gospel are you going to give them that doesn't say that's sin? That's not a gospel. It's not the gospel. It may be a gospel for something, but it's not a gospel of Christ others just change their teaching they just say you know what in this day and age this is fine 
But some stand and say, no, we're not going to stand for such nonsense as that. No, we're not going to change what we believe. No, the word of God is very clear. Not moving. Always anchored to something that does not change. The world thinks that they put us to shame by accusing us of things that are untrue. But we're not put to shame. Not because we're not ridiculed. Not because we're not uh, mocked and maligned. Not because we're not made fun of in the public square. But we're not put to shame because the love of God, His love toward us, is greater than the suffering that we can endure in this life. It's greater than that. So I want to take a look at God's love and spend the rest of my time doing that. It's my second point. There's only 11 points under this point. Look what it says. Verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's why. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The love of God here is seen as the motivating power that causes the believer to endure. Paul alludes to this fact in another place in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Look with me there. Did I say 2 Corinthians? How about 2 Thessalonians? Chapter 3. Remember, I, I want to I read this with, with the context. Remember about the Thessalonians. What were, what were they? They were enduring suffering, weren't they? And beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3, finally, brothers... Pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are do uh, I'm sorry that you are doing and will do the things that we command. Listen to verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Did y'all hear it? That's what he's saying in Romans chapter 5. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God. There are evil men out there. Not all have faith. 
There are people who come against us and against the gospel and against you. Just like they've come against you, they come against us. And let me do something. Let me, let the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. The endurance, the perseverance, the not giving up. the love of God not you loving God but God loving you that's what does it that's what enables me we should never take this text and say you know what you don't endure because you don't love God enough If you're doing that, you're trusting the wrong thing. We've got to trust the love of God. I, I want to kind of un, unpack that a little bit more because I want us to see what God's love is. What is this text telling us about God's love? First of all, look what he says. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The first thing I want you to see about God's love is that it is abundant. It's been poured God didn't take a dropper of his love and drip it on your forehead. It's been poured out. You think like a, like a tea pitcher? No. Like a tanker truck. Just a valve opened up and just poured out you say, well, but I don't, I don't feel like that he didn't say you felt like you were being hit by a tanker truck it said that he has poured out y'all notice it look God's love has been poured into our hearts. It has happened if your faith is in Jesus Christ. It's a fact, not something you feel. Oh, I suppose sometimes you feel it. But even when you don't, it's still true. That's why we have to be directed to the love of God. Because we forget. I, I, I read this text earlier, but in John chapter 7, verse 37 and through 39, the last day of the feast, 
the great day, Jesus stood up and cried, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Let him come and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You ever have anybody say, hey, how, do you, how do you get the Spirit? How do you get filled up with the Spirit of God? Y'all, y'all ever think that? Yeah, man, I, I need to be filled with the Spirit of God. How, how do you do that? How, there's no instruction on how to be filled with the Spirit of God in Scripture. But if there is one, this is it. I'm harping on this because it says that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me. Whoever believes in me. How are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Whoever believes in me. Faith is how you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You believe. It's not through meditation nor incantation. It's through faith. It's not getting stirred up into a frenzy. It's by believing God. It's always by believing God. Anyone who believes in me as the Scripture has said. By the way, that's an important context there. As the Scripture has said. Not as some bozo in a white jacket with gold glitter falling down on a stage says. But as the Scripture has said. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What's that look like? Sometimes it... (laughs) Sometimes it looks like tears. Just broken. That's what it looks like. It doesn't look like somebody jumping up and down. Sometimes it looks like just brokenness. If anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. Exertion makes you thirsty. And suffering is exertion. Suffering makes you thirsty. Sent a dear friend a text yesterday. Suffering loss. I reminded him that the weight of sorrow is more than we can bear. But it's also the arena where we meet Jesus more truly than anywhere else. 
abundant. The love of God is abundant. It's overflowing. That's the the text here in John 7. It's overflowing. Y'all ever been thirsty? I'm I'm not boasting in this, but I will say this. The second marathon that I ran down in Beaumont, Texas... Any marathoners in here do not run a marathon in Beaumont, Texas. I don't care what time of the year it is. Because in Beaumont, Texas, it's always hot. Okay? This is their inaugural marathon. And it was six miles before I saw a station that had water. Six miles. And after that, it was quite a while before there was any water. And let me tell you something. When you don't have water, you, you run up there and you grab that stuff. And you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I had to, after, after that, I had to give up winning the thing, okay? Because most of the time when you're going to win it, you just go by and grab as many as you can as you're going by, you know. Uh-uh. No, I came to a complete stop at the six-mile water station, and I just sat and just kept on going. Man, I had water running all down me, all right? It was overflowing. It was coming out. I was dumping it on my head. I was thirsty. I was hot. I was tired. I was worn down. I was beat down. Poured on me. Yesterday, after crawling out from up underneath the house, doing a little bit of plumbing, I went into the kitchen and I grabbed the tea pitcher. And I grabbed a mason jar and I filled it up with sweet tea. Now there's some smiles out there because some of you have had my sweet tea. And you're thinking to yourself, that man knows how to make sweet tea. It doubles his sweet tea. Or pancake syrup, either one. Man, I poured that stuff and I started drinking. And I'm not going to lie, I was thirsty and I was hot and I was dirty. I'd been up underneath the house. And man, that tea was coming down both sides of my mouth. But most of it was going down my throat and over my taste buds. And it was refreshing. And it felt good. And I want you to know there it was. It was there. It was overflowing. It was abundant. It was good. And I want you to know that we know the overflowing abundance of the love of God more when we suffer. than any other time. It's abundant. Something else I want you to see, and it goes along with this, it's in the believer. It's in the believer. Out of his inmost being, will flow rivers of living water. Out of his inmost being. Paul writes 
Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? God has given us a precious gift. And he put, a, put him in us. In us. Embedded. The Spirit of God. Do y'all feel like that your body is the temple of God? Some temples look better than others. Some temples smile better than others. Do you have faith in Jesus Christ? Is that a you're not sure? Yes or no? You have faith in Jesus Christ? Then in you is the Spirit of God. Have you ever thought of the Spirit of God being a form of the love of God in you? Yes, He is a person. But He is love and He loves you. He's in us. Why is that important? Because in chapter 8, verse 16 of Romans, it says this. That His Spirit testifies with our spirit, which is not somewhere out here, but here, that we are children of God. You want to talk about something that is an important fact for those who are children of God? is that the Word says that His Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Remember how I said that it's overflowing and it's abundant? May I tell you something about you and something about me? We're leaky. We leak. It's important to understand that the God pouring out His love through the Holy Spirit, is that we leak. And so what does He keep doing? It's kind of like, no, you've used up today's portion. Do you think God stops pouring His love out to you? Yeah, but I really blew it today, Rick. Yeah, I really failed. Yeah, this is terrible. It's shameful. It's humiliating. All these things. And God doesn't, when you admit to that, when you confess that, God doesn't go, oops, I better stop pouring this. No, He keeps pouring because you're leaking like a sieve. And He never stops pouring out His love to us. This is what Paul is saying. This is the implication of justification by faith. That He showed you His love and He saved you. And he keeps pouring out his love even when you're suffering. And he 
does it in you. And he does it according to his word. God's love is abundant. God's love is in the believer. And God's love is demonstrated in the death of Jesus. Verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. God's love is demonstrated in the death of Jesus. While we were still weak at the right time. He says it in a different way later on. That while we were still sinners. The word while being a key word to let us know the condition that we were in. And that all mankind is in. Sinners. Weak. While we were weak, he died for us. We were morally frail and powerless to help ourselves. That's what he's talking about, weakness. Couldn't help yourself. Morally. You were frail. You see, if it depended upon you to go looking for God, to find salvation, you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't do it. That's how weak we are. That's why he had to act while we were weak. But at the right time, so at the right time is, is speaking of our weakness, that we're unworthy and unwilling, but right time is also speaking about when Christ died. At a time that was fitting for God's purpose. That's what it's saying there. It was a time that was fitting for God's purpose. What's being said by that? Nothing delayed the death of Jesus. Okay? So there was nothing that got in the way that kept him from dying in 1200 B.C. Instead, his death occurred at the predetermined time purposed by God in his eternal plan. And so he died for us. And it was not an afterthought. 
God's love to you is not an afterthought. God's love to you is not, well, golly, you know, you really didn't need that much today, but really, you're a mess today. Here, let me show you some love. God's love is constantly being poured out to us who are His children, who have been justified by faith. Are y'all getting that? You don't have to feel like God loves you in order for the fact to be taking place that God is pouring out His love to you. It's happening. I'm not mad. I'm happy. I'm glad He does that. I'm excited. He pours his love out, even if you don't feel it. His atonement is not an afterthought. Adam didn't sin and God didn't go, oh man, man, that didn't go as planned. Uh, What do we do now? No. He already knew what he would do. The plan was already established before there was a grain of sand. I'm not getting all the way through this one. But let me kind of wrap up. First of all, I want to point out he died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. The timing of it was exactly when God wanted it, and he died for ungodly people. This is not a class of people. This is the only definition of people that Christ died for. They were sinners, ungodly, wretched people. He died for the ungodly. I'm glad because I... One of those. We pick up here that Jesus' death is unexpected in this context. Look what he says. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Understand, I mean, you can see the unexpectedness of Jesus, the Son of God, dying for ungodly people. And so Paul brings that unexpectedness out. While we were still weak, the right time Christ died for us, one will scarcely die. Scarcely is not speaking of frequency, but the difficulty in finding someone to do it. To die for a righteous person. And then, uh, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Somebody's going to ask me, what's the distinction between a righteous person and a good person? That somebody might die for a good person, but not for the righteous person. The righteous person it's thought by many commentators, is someone that you respect. 
The good person is somebody that you love. A mom may die for her child, but not for her boss. That's what's going on there. It's unlikely either one, but a mom would die for a child. So he's trying to put that up. But God shows his love. Did y'all hear that? God shows his love. God demonstrates his love. God puts his love into action. That while you were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I turn over a page. Two. And I let you know about the love of God, that the love of God has been poured out, is being poured out, and I want you to see something. That while you struggle in your sorrow, in your suffering, in your pain, in your doubts, in your fears, all of those things, while you struggle in those things, I want you to know the love of God is being poured out. And so what then shall we say to these things if God is for us? The one who has the picture constantly pouring of his love being poured out. Who? Can be against us. He who did what? Not spare his own son. That's what he's talking about in chapter 5. But gave him up for us all. How will he also not with him graciously give us all things? He will. And he does. And he does it by means of the love that he's poured out to us. He loves you. Now, Rick, you don't know what's going on in my life. I don't have to. You don't know what's going on in mine either. You don't have to. But I know the love of God is being poured out. It's being poured out. So every doubt and every fear and every sorrow and every suffering that you are facing, do not look to your love for God. You look to God's love for you. It does not fail. And if the love of God does not fail, hope does not put you to shame. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love you have poured out into our hearts, in us. Not to look at that in some subjective feeling way, but to look at it in an objective knowing way. That you have redeemed us and you love us. And so, Lord, we give you all of our hearts to do in our lives whatever you will. 
so that it can be true that we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. So that it can be true that we exalt, we rejoice, we boast in our sufferings. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.